podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message. We'll look at part two of cultivating repentance um, if we remember last week, we looked at um, part one where we looked at our hearts and understanding our hearts and knowing our hearts when it comes to repentance. And so today we'll dig into part two. Thank you, Martin, for leading us. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll dig in. Father, you are, you are so good. Lord, and uh, may we truly be people who bless you and praise you, Lord, and may you truly be our vision as we tread life in this world. Lord, that one day that vision will become sight, and uh, in that day, Lord, you will wipe every tear from our eye, and you will just comfort our hearts. That day there'll be no more death, there'll be no more sorrow. So, Father, may you implant deep in our heart that we would look forward to that day. Now, Lord, I just ask of you that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word. I pray, Father, you would be with others as they preach today, that you would give all your preachers, Lord, wisdom and understanding in your word, and that your sheep would be fed throughout this city and throughout the world. Lord, thank you for all that you are doing, we just ask your blessing upon today in your name. Amen. Taste. When we taste, we have this amazing thing called taste buds, right? If you've had the COVID and you lost your taste or you've lost your smell, you kind of can realize how you like that taste and you like that smell. But for most of us, if we haven't had it and we have that taste, we enjoy that taste, right? We, we taste these things. We, we have, uh, where we taste things that are good and we taste things that are bad. We taste things that are sweet and we taste things that are sour. We taste things that are hot. We taste things that are cold. And those things that we taste that are really good, we want to go back and taste them again, Correct? Right? I mean, think of a uh, chocolate chip cookie as I look at my dad, you know, and everything like that. If my mom keeps them out, they soon disappear. And, um, but if we have a chocolate chip cookie and we eat that cookie and it tastes so good and so sweet, we want another one, correct? So we're looking for another one and we're looking for another one. Well, this is what I want to look at today. I want us to look at, as we cultivate repentance, I want us to taste the sweetness of how infinite God's goodness is 
as he answers David's pleas, not only for David, but also for us. Psalms 34, 8 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This word taste means to discover by experience. So I want us today to look at that and I want us to taste that the Lord is good in what we see in cultivating repentance as we look at his goodness, his infinite goodness to us. So as we look at this, we have to look, first of all, as what David says about God. So we get this proper view and this proper character of who God is. So in Psalms 51, if we look at verse 1, we find that he is infinitely gracious and abundantly merciful. These are the characteristics that we see. David says also in verse 1 that his love is steadfast. In verse 4, we read that God is just and blameless in his judgments. He is pure and innocent in all his ways. Verse 6 tells us he delights, he finds joy in, and he takes pleasure in the truth, and he teaches wisdom. Verses 12 and 14, he is the God of all salvation. So David brings us in, even into this, this repentance prayer of, of who God is and David rests in those characteristics of God as he brings out his pleas. So now let's look at the pleas that David has, that he has in here. If we look at verse one, it's a plea that God gives him abundant mercy. Look at verse one. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He has a plea for God to Cleanse him and make him pure. Make him uncontaminated. In verses 2 and 7, if we look at verse 2 and 7, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, purge me, forgive me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. In verse 10, David pleads for a clean heart and a new spirit verse 10 reads create in me a clean heart O god and renew a right spirit within me this word create it means to create to create a new heart it also means this reforming existing material so this is what david is speaking about reforming his heart making it clean making his heart pure flawless undefiled having this impurity this is what he's asking god to do he's asking him to renew a right spirit within him he wants a restored spirit a fresh spirit a repaired spirit because of this the sin that he has committed he knows that he needs god to intercede into his heart and so he pleads for a, a clean heart, a fresh spirit, a renewed spirit. He, in verse 11, asks God not to reject him or cast him away. Verse 11 says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. In verse 12 is another plea to restore, meaning to turn back, to bring back, to recover, to turn us back to the joy of this salvation. In verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with, your will, with a willing spirit. Notice it doesn't say my salvation, but it says your salvation. 
It's your salvation. It's God's salvation that he graciously gives to us. And then finally, we see a a plea for deliverance. To be saved, to be spared from, to take away, to tear away from the blood guiltness of sin in verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. So these are David's pleas. And so does God answer these for David? Yeah, he answers these for David. Does he answer them for us? Yes, he answers them for us. But we see these answers on this side of the cross fulfilled in the greater David, in Jesus, in his work on the cross. David didn't know about Jesus' work on the cross. But these are fulfilled in this. And so I want us to take encouragement. This is why I want us to see this infinite goodness of God as he answers these pleas for David. And he answers these pleas for us. If at any moment you have prayed that prayer, you know, God created me a clean heart and and restore a right spirit within me, God answers that for abundant mercy, right? Taste Taste the sweetness of God's mercy as he forgives us. Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I, I am he who blots out all your transgressions. That word blot can, can uh, be translated forgives. So I am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. This is mercy. This is abundant mercy that God has forgiven us of our sin and he remembers our sins no more. Isaiah 44, 22 says this way, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. We are a redeemed people. Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Taste the sweetness of this infinite goodness of God in the truth that, brothers and sisters, you're forgiven of all of your sin. Forgiven of all your sin. Secondly, we see his infinite goodness and that he's washed us, he's cleansed us. This word for cleansed in the Old Testament means to launder, to launder. So when we uh, have children or Jenny's got a big child and there's stains on our shirts. What do we do? We get the stained stuff and we scrub it and re-rub it and we throw it in the thing. This is kind of the same, same type of thing. You know, David is asking to be cleansed. You know, wash me thoroughly with hyssop. Hyssop was a branch in the Old Testament that the uh, priests would use to, to sprinkle the blood onto the altar. Uh, in there and so David is asking this cleansing right and so we we we, we see the truth of this in Psalms 103 12 when he says as far as the east is from the west 
This is how, this is how far we've been cleansed. This is the depths that we have been cleansed. This is the washing that we have. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If, if we start traveling east, right, we will never get west. It'll always be east. We will always be traveling east. This is the massiveness of how far God has forgiven us. Micah 7, 19 says this, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will, God will, cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. In the depths of the sea, he, he casts all of our sins. God in his infinite goodness gives us a new heart. He does create a new heart in us, does he not? He creates this heart in us. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is what God has done to the believer. This is what God has done to us who sit here as believers. He's given us a new heart. He's creating us a new heart. This is what David has asked. Create in me a clean heart, O God. God has given us that clean heart. This is why we, 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 we need to cultivate repentance, right? We need to continue to be repenting because oftentimes our, our, our hearts can get black and our hearts can get wicked and our hearts can go directions that we don't want them to do. Um, I remember a few years back, Jenny and I were talking about how quick my, 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 my heart could go to praising God and then be wicked all of a sudden. I mean, it's like nanoseconds that our hearts can get that way. So we, we need this creating of a clean heart. But God has done that. God has given us a new heart. He has given us a new spirit. This is what he has done. And this new heart, it, it, it's a heart that wants to be obedient to God. Because of what God has done, it's to be obedient to God. You see, here's the, here's the truth of the Christian life. We, we do not do stuff to be accepted by God. We are not obedient to be accepted by God. We are accepted fully in Christ, so then we are obedient. Our acceptance, because of what Christ has done, that drives us to obedience. A created new heart, a changed new heart, drives us to this obedience. That's what it does. And what's this obedience look like? Well, it's taking off the old self or the old man and putting on the new man. This is what Ephesians 4 says, 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off the old self or the old man which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. True righteousness and holiness. And then he goes on and gives us a big list of what those things are. Like speaking the truth in one another. Do not, do not let the anger go down on your sin. He gives us this list of what that looks like to put on the new self. He also says this, that in this new heart that God has created, we're to be imitators of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me, Paul says, as I am of Christ. 
This new heart has a desire to be an imitator of Christ. Christ in his gentleness, in his tenderness, in his mercy, in his grace, in his compassion. We are new creatures created in that image of, of Christ, right? The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Again, we are to put that emulation on. We are to be little Jesuses running around, not perfect, not holy, or, or striving for holiness, but we are to be imitators of God as beloved sons and daughters and children. Third, this new heart shows that we are to love one another. We are to love one another. John thirteen thirty four. this is what Jesus says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is a challenge. This is a command to love one another. Do we love each other the way that Jesus loved us? Do we love each other with that sacrificial love? It's not an easy love. It's a tough, tough love. But he's given us a new heart to love each other in that way. It's a love that considers others more important than ourselves. Man, that is really tough. I know that's really tough for me because I am one selfish guy. And I'll be the first to admit it. I am. I only want to consider one person's opinion and one person's interest. But that's not how Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us with a sacrificial love to the point where he lays down his life for his friends. 1 John 3.23, John you know, reiterates it again. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Second John 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is this new heart, that we love one another. Not based on what each other does for us or what we give each other, but based upon the fact of what Christ has done for us. We love each other because that puts Christ on display and it shows that God is working and he's creating a new heart in us, right? And he, he wants to, uh, uh, David says also that he wants a, a restored spirit, a good spirit. We see in God's infinite goodness that he gives us the spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit would always come and go, right? He would always come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go. But now in us, because of what Christ's done, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where God's Spirit now lives, is within us. Do we have the strength to love one another as we should? Yes. Do we have the strength to put off the old self and put on the new self? Yes. Do we have strength to be imitators of God? Yes, because he's implanted the Holy Spirit in us. It's like miracle grow in your garden. We put the miracle grow so the plants go woof. Really quick, this is what he's done. He's put that spirit in us so that we will live victorious lives, not defeated lives, victorious lives. Listen to his infinite goodness about giving us a spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. 
And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is a seal, a seal. In, the, in, in uh, those times, the, the, the king would have a, a signet ring that he would seal things with, that he would seal things with. And this is what God's saying. Here, you have the Holy Spirit. This is my seal that I've put on you because you have my spirit. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Right? The Spirit that dwells in us. So David asks God to create this new heart in him and to give him this new Spirit. And God has done that. He has done that through the person of Jesus Christ. He has given us that Spirit. Not only that, but we, we see in his infinite goodness that we are not rejected. David asks, right? Don't cast me away. Don't reject me. We're not rejected. John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Hebrews 13.5, this is probably the more famous one. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Exactly. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Right? There are times in the Old Testament when, you, when, when David reads and he says, where are you? Where are you? You know, I get that. When we, when we go through times that are, that are troublesome and we have hard times, we wonder where God is. When our heart is hurting, when family members are hurting, you know, when, when our children are going through pain or we're going through pain, there's those times where we're like, where, where are you? Where are you? He's right there. He won't leave us and he won't forsake us because he is infinitely good to his children. God's goodness restores the joy of our salvation. Restores the joy of our salvation. Psalm 13, 5 says this, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Does this describe you and I? Do we rejoice in that salvation? How often do our eyes get off of Christ and onto everything else and we lose joy? We lose joy. Uh, in the American gospel thing. That's the one thing we see with Catherine Berger, right? I mean, she's going through just massive stuff, but she's joyful. She's joyful as she goes through there because she understands God's salvation. And we need to be the same way. No matter what we go through, no matter what trials come upon us, no matter what sins we're battling with, we need to be able to get back to the cross and see and and relish and taste, taste, discover that sweetness 
of a revived heart that's gonna bring us to more joy in our salvation, bring us to more joy in who Christ is. And then when Christ comes and takes us home, that joy becomes even greater because we are with him. Finally, his, inf- or his infinite goodness has delivered us. His infinite goodness has plucked us out of the pit of hell. His infinite goodness has dragged us out of the danger. His infinite goodness has rescued us. Galatians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to rescue us, to drag us out of danger from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We have been delivered from the wrath to come. That should bring one thing, joy. We should have joy because the wrath to come, we will have no part in. He delivers us from that wrath to come. All of these are true of the believer. What I just said, all of these are true, but they're only true because of one thing. It's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why it's true, because of his finished work on the cross. We are forgiven because Christ was forsaken. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are not forsaken. I will never leave you or forsake you. Why? Because Christ was forsaken on the cross so that we would never be forsaken again. He was forsaken. That's why we are never forsaken. We are now righteous because Christ became sin. Christ took on that sin. It was imputed. We were given his righteousness. We were cleansed. We were washed because he took our filth. It was his robes for my robes. We took on his robes of righteousness and he took on our robes of sinfulness. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only is that, but we are no longer, we no longer bear our sins because Christ bore our sins on the cross. Listen to 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By Jesus' wounds we've been healed. Because of the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross so that you and I would not grow weary or faint-hearted and that we would have this joy in our salvation. Turn with me to Hebrews because I didn't write all of this down for Pete to put up there. So if you turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's 
Look at verse 1. It says there, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son who he receives. So Jesus endured the cross with joy. I just wanted to keep that in context. But Jesus endured the cross with joy so that we can have joy also in him. And Christ, here's, the, here, here's one I, it's really dear to me. Christ tasted, he tasted, he felt the white hot wrath of God so that you and I may be healed. Turn to Isaiah 53. Turn to Isaiah 53 because we're going to read a big section here. Here's what he says. Listen to what Christ has done for us. Okay? This is what he's done for us. And this is what he did for David. This is cultivating repentance. It's keeping these things in mind. Start with verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generations, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief with, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and shall bear their iniquities. Jesus felt it. He drank the whole cup. He was crushed. He was pierced through for our transgressions, for our sins. Brother and sisters, don't take your sin lightly because Jesus was crushed for your sin. That is massively huge. 
And this is how we cultivate repentance. Last week, we looked at knowing our hearts and understanding our hearts and knowing who our sin is against and understanding what, what God has done in our hearts to, to show us this. Secondly, we see that cultivating repentance is tasting the sweetness of the infinite goodness of God. The infinite goodness of God and what he has done in Christ Jesus to restore us, to reconcile us, to redeem us back to himself. Now, if you sit here today and you are not a believer, you you are still, I'm, I'm speaking to you, you are still, if you're an unbeliever and you have not repented of your sin, you are still under the white hot wrath of God. It abides on you. But today you can know and you can taste the sweetness of God's mercy by repenting of your sin and trusting the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and putting your faith in his death and his burial and his resurrection by receiving him today as king. But for those of us here today that are believers, those of us today here that are believers, that we are the bride of Christ, may Christ continue to feast us on his word. May we taste the sweetness of his infinite goodness and may we cultivate in our hearts the sweetness of repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and thank you for this time. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to work mightily in our hearts as we, as we seek out you, Lord. Father, give us a heart of repentance. Lord, make us to see our need of you. And Father, help us to just know that your word, Lord, is so sweet and it's infinitely good and you are infinitely good. May you be the most sweetest thing that we taste, Lord, that we would never get enough of. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.